What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys curious about what shaking an embalmed hand feels like. I'm Matt Johnson, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm not super interested in going to a party and getting possessed in front of my friends. I'm Keith Baker, and I now don't ever want to go to Australia. And I'm Austin Terry, and I just think all of these kids need to find some better friends. On today's show, we're late to the game, but finally talking about the new craze of the horror genre with Talk To Me. It's an Australian flick that came out last Halloween and is recently getting distributed everywhere else. It's a low-budget indie that seems to be resonating with a lot of people and doing some huge box office. It follows a group of teenagers who discover they are able to contact spirits using a mysterious embalmed hand, only for one of them to take things too far. Classic scenario. Uh, usually we talk about like expectations going in. I don't know if that's even a fair conversation with this one. I want to know, did you know anything at all about this movie going into it? And let everyone know, of course, your non-spoiler thoughts on Talk To Me. Yeah, I would say I guess I had pretty decent expectations going into it. Um, I was definitely the one like pushing to do it on the podcast. I had just seen the buzz about this movie building and building. And um, I love scary movies. So when there's a new one out that kind of gets a ton of buzz, I'm definitely going to see it. And I would say my expectations are pretty well met. I think this is one of the best horror movies of the year so far. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I love a good horror movies like with clearly defined rules that you can follow for the whole film. So the whole shaking the hand, you get 90 seconds. That gimmick really worked for me. Um, this is definitely a lower budget film, but the the makeup and special effects are like incredible. And there's some really scenes that are just like, it's tough to look at people after they've been through some stuff. There's some pretty good scary moments and it doesn't really rely on jump scares, which given the premise, it'd be really easy to just fall back on jump scares. But there's like creepier, longer scenes that kind of build tension and just kind of unnerve you. So overall, I mean, I had a, a really great time with this movie. Um, I think it's definitely worth seeing in theaters and just it's uh, feels good to supporting like a lower budget film with these whole cast and crew kind of all making their debut. So really enjoyed it and gets a high recommendation for me. Yeah, same here. I would definitely recommend it. It was fun. Like you said, there's some good scary moments, very like disturbing moments to like that are really hard to watch. Um, like you said, the way people look and what they've been through is like pretty nuts. I like that we get introduced to kind of like a new original type of possession i guess i mean we've seen possession in other horror movies before like insidious and conjuring and stuff like that but i kind of like the lore behind this one with the hand and how it all works and everything like that yeah overall really fun uh definitely looking forward to a possible sequel hopefully yeah had a great time yeah i thought it was great i uh hadn't heard about the movie until i guess somewhat recently i think i had just heard like on twitter like oh this is a good movie and then we were talking about it for the podcast and I was like all right yeah let's you know go see what sounds like to be a good horror movie those feel kind of few and far between these days uh so it's always good to see one that uh like is not only quality but also like just really kind of messes with you you know it's scary I thought this movie was pretty disturbing but it's it's a really good movie and I would recommend anybody check it out just on its quality alone um it doesn't feel low budget it kind of like uh, impressed me on that level too I was like that just feels like you know any other movie. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's great to support it. It feels good. Um, I don't have like too much to say. It, it kind of just did what I hoped it would. It really kind of fucked me up for the night. You know, I went to bed, had some nightmares after, <laughs> but uh, you know, I thought it was a really good movie and it kind of went beyond what a lot of horror movies do. Like just kind of, you know, we're just out to scare you hopefully. Uh, but this one also has like a really compelling story and really interesting characters on top of that. And that's something that I think the genre forgets to invest in a lot of the time so yeah i don't know it's a great horror movie and it's also just a great movie 
I'm really glad I saw it. I'm excited to watch it again. I'm curious what more they could do with the story in this world and this concept. Um, but yeah, it's a super easy recommendation from me. And this one is distributed by A24, who's kind of been knocking it out of the park lately with their horror movies. They, of course, did Hereditary, Pearl, X, Midsummer. Um, so they kind of, I think getting them to distribute it kind of gave this like a stamp of approval for more general audiences to go see. And like you said, Matt, even beyond the scary stuff, the general story of grief and stuff like that, that's kind of laying um, beneath the surface in this movie, kept me engaged as well, even in the kind of the quieter parts of the film. So awesome story. And then when you learn more about the cast, like the lead actress is making her film debut. This is the director's directorial debut. So what a way to come out swinging with your first film. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, the story you love to hear when it comes to people kind of getting their start in not even Hollywood, obviously, in this case, but just in film in general. I mean, these people will talk about the directors and you know the cast later. But yeah, it's like making a small budget film like this kind of the dream is, you know, you put it out at a festival or something, which they did last October. So it's been around for a while. It starts to get a little bit of buzz in Australia and stuff. And then because of that buzz, you get, you know, kind of the big league people at A24 like, you know what, we'll finance the distribution, you know, we'll give you international like distribution rights. It's like, it's kind of the dream. It makes you think about the early days of like Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, how they made one movie and then people were like, hey, we'll put money into making this like a wider distribution. They were like, OK. And then they all became like <laughs> the people that we know today. So, you know, kind of what, what seems to be happening in this movie in terms of buzz and all that stuff is kind of a dream for people making their debut. Just like, OK, here's some money. This is really good. Good job on what you did. We'll help you make it even bigger. And that seems like that's what's happening. So I'm excited for their futures. Yeah, like I said earlier, I can totally see this becoming a franchise and even having spinoffs come from it as well. And the name is perfect. The sequel, yeah. change the word two to the number two uh, for the trilogy, change it to talk through me, but have the T be a three. Whoa. I mean, you've, mm. got, you've got three films right there. Holy shit. Hell yeah. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, there you go. So it's another, I don't know, whenever I was kind of typing up our doc today, uh, I was thinking, you know what? We've been talking about a lot of really good movies lately, which is a good feeling because I know we've certainly had a, a parts. I don't know what we do call it. Like we've had some bad streaks at times throughout our podcast run where it's like, OK, we're back again. This movie sucks. <laughs> so it's nice to go on a good streak with like Oppenheimer, TMNT. We've been talking about some high quality stuff lately, so it feels good. It's an easy recommendation for all of us. Uh, go, go out and go see this movie. Go support it. If you're a horror fan at all. Even if you're not, it's just a good movie. Go check this one out. It's genuinely really, really good. Go support people making their dreams happen in the indie space. Uh, but the rest of our conversation is going to be spoilers, and we would not want to spoil you. So go check out the movie, then come on back and listen to the rest of our conversation. I mean, just looking back at where we've come from at the beginning of the year, we started with Sick. We had Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Ugh. We had our shitty movie night because there was nothing better to do. We've come a long way this year, so it's yeah. good to have these good movies finally coming out. <sighs> Feels good. Feels good. Cassie. Sick was okay. Dad. <laughs> Cassie. I mean, even Paul Rudd's come a long way. I mean, like we said last time, you know, he did Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania where he's objectively terrible in it. And then he gives maybe the Oscar winning supporting performance of the year as Mondo Gecko in DMNT. The peoples, they gots to go. <laughs> now he's knocking out of the park in season three of Only Murders in the Building. I mean, the oh, Paul sure. Renaissance is here. I didn't even know that started. I'm going to start that. All right, Paul, we see you. We see what you're doing.
All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory 4. Talk to me before we get into our specific thoughts, guys. Let's run down the cast and crew as always. All right, so Talk to Me is directed by Danny and Michael Philippou. They're twin brothers from Australia. They're also known as Raka Raka on YouTube, where they make horror comedy videos. Um, and this was super cool for them. They're, ac- they're actually two guys who have been working in the industry for a while. If you look at their IMDb, they have a lot of credits of like uh, audio and visuals department or things like that. The biggest movie they worked on before this was The Duke. And Talk to Me is their feature debut. They've already been greenlit for a sequel for this movie. And then they're um, attached to an upcoming Street Fighter film as well. Um, the movie is written by Danny Filippo and Bill Hisman. And our score for the film is composed by Corno Wilsnack, and it's based on a concept by Dally Pearson. All right. And going to our cast, we got Sophia Wilde as Mia, Alexandra Jensen as Jade, Joe Bird as Riley, Otis Danji as Daniel, and we got Miranda Otto as Sue. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives? What do we got? Yeah, I'll give mine to Sophia Wilde as Mia. Um, this is her debut um, in a feature film, so super cool to see her kind of come out in this movie. Um, and she did a great job. I think a lot of times it's tough to balance like a main character who's troubled, like without that performance feeling campy. Um, but I thought she did great. You can really buy the grief that she's struggling with with the loss of her mom, um, and then also kind of watching her character kind of spiral as the possession takes more and more hold throughout the movie was really good. So really enjoyed her in this movie. I thought she carried it very well. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she was really great in it. Uh, I think the whole cast was good for me. It's hard to pick out one. So I'll just shout out the uh, directors, Danny and uh, Michael uh, Philippou, the the twin brothers. Yeah, I thought they did a great job directing this. You said earlier, A24 did Hereditary and Midsommar and all that, all those kind of movies. It's definitely kind of had a Hereditary vibe to it for me. I think the overall uh, atmosphere, like it being based in kind of like a dark suburban Australian uh, town and then um you know you already ha- like y'all said earlier you already have like the the grieving um from two different families here uh going on it just kind of you just feel creeped out the whole time even without being you know jump scared creeped out <laughs> and then you have the possession stuff on top of it so um i'll just shout out the directing and the writing when it comes to all that yeah they created a great atmosphere for this film and even in addition to the scary stuff they also had some pretty fun and light moments too, like the actual party montage with everyone getting possessed and having fun. Like, it's a really fun scene, and you wouldn't expect that in this type of movie. So, there's some uh, interesting stuff they did, like keeping up that scary, intense vibe, but then also having these like really fun, kind of light party scenes. Um, it kind of catches you off guard. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, at least, when it comes to making or when it comes to a horror movie that really stands out to me, I guess it really just is that atmosphere. I don't. Jump scares as I get older, they like less and less start to have an effect on me. I think a lot of that's because like lesser teams will just like put a big like music sound whether while they're doing a jump scare. So it's like, of course, I'm going to react to this. You didn't do anything creative or interesting. It's just like, oh, here's a big sound and something fast. Of course, I'm going, whoa. But um, when people get more creative with like kind of the atmosphere and the scares, I it really stands out to me. I mean, you you, are, you guys mentioned Hereditary with the A24 connection. I mean, the thing that makes that movie so great is just the concept of it is really scary. And I think, like, the most scary thing that movie does is the entire time you're wondering, like, is she really kind of, like, possessed? Like, or is she mentally ill? Because they set that up, too. And uh, this movie, I just absolutely love the idea of, like, not knowing whether or not these spirits are lying to you or not. One of them looks like your mom, so I'd be inclined to trust you, but just kind of, like, the... 
unreliable narrator aspect of it was like so like creepy and scary and like there's no like jump scare element to that it was just like oh, that's a really scary idea <laughs> and it kind of like sat with me for a while so just so good i mean looking at this list here every single person on here is great uh, i agree with the, your call-ups as well uh there's not a bad beat there i will give like kind of like a uh i guess like kind of like a random shout out because it, it really did stand out um to joe bird as riley and specifically because I think, I guess this isn't like limited to horror movies, but I was getting like exorcist vibes with like most of that movie, you know, like Linda Blair playing um, the possessed girl. Like she does still have dialogue and stuff, but it is kind of limited once she gets possessed. And it's still such a great performance. This one, I kind of got those vibes too. Like, I mean, we get to know him a little bit at the beginning, but then once he gets kind of taken over, like some of his speech and like, like some aspects are kind of taken away that you would expect an actor would want to use. But I just found. I don't know, like the makeup, the effects, the actual performance was so scary, so like visceral. Uh, so he, he stood out to me for that reason, like even like whenever he couldn't speak as much for, you know, after, you know, the accident, and all that stuff, like still what a just like ugh, compelling and scary performance. Yeah, he did a great job unnerving you with his like eye movements and then the way his like uh, mouth would like contort into a smile and stuff was super creepy. Um, Matt, you did mention the exorcist there. Did you guys get the trailer for the Exorcist sequel before your movie? We did. We did. I'm yeah. upset about it. I'm upset about it. I love <laughs> Danny McBride, but I can't trust Danny McBride and David Gordon Green again when it comes to rebooting <laughs> horror franchises. <laughs> they like. I think they say the word Exorcist, and I was like, oh no, this is that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about Talk to Me, guys. You know our thoughts on the movie. Glowing recommendation, but what does everyone else have to say? Talk to Me received critical acclaim and currently has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Besides critical consensuses with a gripping story and impressive practical effects, Talk to Me spins a terrifically creepy 21st century horror yarn built on classic foundations. The horror sequences and performances as well also received praise. The movie only cost $4.5 million to make, which I think kind of just highlights just how impressive the practical effects are even more. It has made $36.5 million, so that's a nice little profit right there, which, of course, like we've talked about, has already opened the door for a sequel for them. Yeah, that 94% is the highest rated horror movie of the year, um, so instant praise there, of course. Um, the $4.5 million is insane. The, the makeup of the characters that kind of get hurt and stuff like that it looks like any high-tiered production budget. Um, none of the special effects look bad to me. Um, I think it is kind of a testament to these directors and this team kind of being YouTubers and they've kind of come up making these videos, doing more with less. They know how to stretch their budget. Um, so that's, I mean, when I, when we got out of the theater, I was guessing this is going to be a 15 to $20 million movie. And I was shocked to learn it was a four and a half million dollar budget. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I think you're right, Austin. I think kind of that YouTuber mentality, you just kind of learn how to do more with less. And the fact that they could kind of carry that over into a feature film alone is kind of crazy. So they really kind of made that happen. Um, Cause I mean, you know, we're talking about like the summer blockbusters. We're talking about, wow, this movie made 400 million and it failed because it didn't turn a profit. Uh, it's nice to see a movie that they were able to make on a lower budget like this and make a crazy profit. Isn't it like weird to think that like stuff like Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, those movies are box office bombs. They didn't make their money back. And this movie cost less than five million to make and is quintupled. Like it's profit. I mean, of course, the number itself is like smaller, but it's like that's a huge profit. So it's like, I don't know. You know, you can tell interesting stories without like doing crazy over the top CG. Look at the effects in this movie. It kind of uh, makes me miss that. 
Um, so hopefully, you know, some of the bigger uh, studios, they won't, but hopefully they'll <laughs> maybe take some notes here. Yeah. And I think we could kind of be on the cusp of like a new, um, I guess, era of like what's going to come to the box office. Because like you said, Matt, I was going to mention Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible 2. Those are huge IPs that are losing money at the box office. Marvel movies aren't making money at the box office anymore. Barbie just made a billion dollars because it's a new, fresh story that people want to see. And it's got good word of mouth. Um, a movie like this is making an insane profit. So I think we might start seeing studios seeking out newer, fresh ideas with a smaller budget that are kind of guaranteed to make their money back because they're not seeing the return they are anymore on investing all this money into these big films. Yeah, it reminds me of like James Wan and Lee Whannell. Uh, you know, whenever you know, we talked about Saw, whenever they made the first one, that was kind of always their idea. And then they translated that over into Insidious and the Conjuring. It's like, hey, let's make movies that don't cost too much, but they'll be guaranteed to make money back. Like, why wouldn't we do that? And then look where both of their careers are now. You have James Wan out here directing all these tentpole movies, still dipping into the horror space. Lee Whannell's doing like Upgrade, The Invisible Man. Like, I mean, that's the mentality to have, right? <laughs> when it comes to making money and good movies. So it's like, I do hope, like, you know, like you said, that people kind of take note because I think we're just going to end up getting more interesting stories if they do that in the genre. And then even a, a movie like Barbarian last year didn't have a huge budget, made a big profit. I mean, we're seeing audiences flock to these movies that are going to tell them a new story, whether it's a horror movie or not. But as long as there's a new interesting story, the budget almost doesn't matter because if it's that small and you have a talented team behind it, it's guaranteed to make a profit. All right, guys. Well, with that, let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper. Let's get into our roundtable discussion, the main part of our show where we each bring a point or two that we really want to hone in on a bit more and get into some good detail and break it all down. So, guys, who's going to start us off today? Yeah, so I kind of wanted to start with the initial setup of this movie. Um, first of all, that opening scene where you see the young kid stab his brother and then turn the knife on his head. I mean, that set the tone immediately for the movie. And that kind of there are some people like chatting and stuff in my theater as the movie started immediately dead silence after that scene so that gets you right in um but then also i wanted to get into like the rules and the like initial introduction of this hand um like i said i always love i always love a horror movie that has its kind of clear defined rules um so getting like you shake the hand you have to give the spirit permission you get 90 seconds you go any longer than that bad stuff's gonna happen how did all this work for you guys yeah i thought it was a great opening like from the get-go you you see that guy like sitting on the bed and at the party, like by himself, we're like, "Oh crap! What's he doing? Like, he's doing like heroin or something? Is he doing drugs? What, what's he? What's he up to? It's like this guy's gonna be something's gonna happen. You already know something's gonna happen. And then with the brother trying to help him out, you think he's gonna get out of there okay? I did. I was not expecting him to stab his brother and then immediately after stab himself. That was insane. Yeah. What a. I mean, just a brilliant opening. I mean, it's so. You, you go in assuming, even if you haven't seen a trailer like Keith and I had, I mean, you go in knowing this is a horror movie, so, you know, we'll see what happens. So once it starts, you do get kind of an eerie feeling. But at the end of the day, it's like, we've all been to parties like this. So I think that kind of goes to that feeling, Keith. We're just like, okay, yeah, he opens the door, he has to break it down. But ultimately, here's his brother. Maybe he's like fucked up on drugs or alcohol. Maybe he's just really depressed about something. But, you know, here's brother here. He's going to take care of him, get him out of the party. Seems like a good brother based on the intro. And then, yeah, to immediately juxtapose that with getting stabbed and then walking out and to make sure everybody can see and killing himself is like, oh, OK, yeah, I forgot. I guess I forgot <laughs> this was a horror movie for a second because you kind of established such a, like a realistic and relatable opening that we can all relate to with like going to parties and like having to get a friend or another or like a sibling or whoever it may be out of like a situation or something. So it's just like they immediately kind of catch you off guard with like, oh, 
I've been there. I relate to that. <laughs> then dead and dead. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing. I don't know. I don't feel like anything they introduced is like super outlandish. It doesn't feel like, oh, this doesn't fit into the genre or anything like it, it's it's normal stuff that you would expect, I feel like, from a horror fair. But yeah, they just with the design of it and kind of the rules, it made it feel new somehow. So that I think is kind of like an impressive feat as well. It's not like the possession element is super new to the genre, I guess. But yeah, it's just like the design of the hand and the rules specifically with like the time of the possession and then the candle, which of course, you know, coming back to the candle later being the thing that they forgot to do, which is basically why Riley gets so fucked up, apparently. I just enjoy that they set very clear and easy to follow rules at the outset, and then they actually kind of followed through with them without having to introduce more rules later, do you know? I feel like a lot of movies do that. It's just like they just kind of keep introducing things in an effort to make them stand out from other things in the genre. This one's very simple. They give you a couple rules and they stick to them. And it's like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed kind of the setup and kind of learning about it. I like, too, the seeds of doubt they place throughout the movie. Um, like even the very first time Mia does it, they go over the 90 second limit. The other girl says, hey, are you feeling OK? We went a little bit over. So right there, you know, OK, well, they already broke the first rule. So something has to be going wrong. Um, and then she starts seeing things. So. From the very first time she does it, Mia is possessed. I think they they like lay that evidence for you to make that case. Um, and then, of course, you mentioned the candle not going out with Riley. Um, and I, it almost seems like Mia's possession is causing them to take more risks so that way more spirits can start taking over more people. So I liked all that, too. Me, too. I guess that's what I that's kind of what I meant is like at the beginning, they set clear rules, um, but it didn't kind of like hit me until later, because like whenever they went over the 90 seconds with Mia and they, they called that out, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit like. All right, you know, you set the rules, and then this is kind of a weird scene where they acknowledge that they broke it, but then she's fine. I was like, okay. But then, yeah, then as the movie goes on, you realize, oh, they actually are sticking to the rules they set up. Because it's like, no, she's, like, really fucked up. <laughs> so they they made a mistake with that, and then, like, like the candle, like you said. So it was nice that, like, they kind of caught me off guard again with, like, oh, so they took time to explain this rule. They broke it, but I guess it didn't matter. But then, oh, yeah, it, it certainly mattered. So that was cool. And I like, too, that there is a scene of Mia trying to break the already established rules at the hospital by by holding Riley's hand to the bald ham and saying, talk to him. But it's not working because Riley is not the one giving position. So they even the characters themselves try to break the rules and the movie doesn't let them do that. Well, I mean, what do you guys think about all of her uh, Mia's like hallucinations or I guess the the demons taking over her brain and like seeing stuff in the bathroom, her fake dad, you know, that is coming to. Uh, try to kill her and all that. What'd you guys think about all that? I liked it because it, it would have been like a very sharp coincidence if of all the spirits Mia just happened to get possessed by her mom. So I like that this is a spirit using all that against her. None of the spirits are benevolent. Like they all have the goal of taking people over so they can do bad things. So I like that the spirit that is attached to Mia is learning more about her, using her grief against her. I, I like that the spirits are actually a force of evil in this movie. It's funny too, going back to the montage real quick with the other kids doing it and you watch them all get possessed none of them really come out of it with like anything negative they're all like like oh my god that felt amazing i guess it's some sort of high that they get as soon as they come out of it well mia does say it was like a out-of-body experience where she like got a break from her mind essentially so i, I think that's what they liked about it yeah it was nice to insert those moments in there because otherwise we really would have like harped on the things that we joked about in the beginning which is like this is stupid. Like, I know, like, you know, <laughs> you know, we're millennials, but we have 
Gen Z under us, like, you know, parties and like social interactions are different, but it's still like, what are you, this is stupid. Nobody would have fun at a party like this where it's like, all right, guys, let's take a break from the party. You, oh, you guys were hanging out. You guys were talking, you're playing a game over there. Okay. Everybody come into this room. We're all going to do something together. It's like, this is so stupid. But then they kind of like introduce like, oh, okay, I guess maybe this is a different kind of possession or like thing where it's like, it's kind of good. It makes you feel good. It kind of gives you a break. So it, it, putting those in there, I think was important to make you go, oh, so this is why they all want to do it. So that kind of makes sense. I know in the theater, Matt and I definitely had some, oh, oh, shit, oh, shit moments. Yeah. I mean, Out loud for sure. Maybe not so much like scary in the sense that like the, the demons look all that scary. The demons look really good. We talked about, you know, as far as the effects and makeup and stuff like that, they look really great and they look really creepy. But there's really no like pop out moments with them, I guess, except for like the first, maybe like the first one or two talk to me moments when they do look across and like the old looking people. But I think for me, you know, some of the more scarier moments or just like disturbing moments of whenever Riley is like bashing his head in um, both times, you know, at the beginning. Yep. <laughs> and then the second time in the hospital Ugh. against the tile. That was like an actual cringe, close my eyes moment. Yeah, that was <laughs> so hard like, to watch. Ah! <laughs> those moments were the hardest to watch, I think, of the film. Um, both of those moments were like, I think everyone in my theater, including me, was turning their heads away going, ugh. And then also like the makeup when you see like what his face looks like, like that was tough to look at too. Um, the actual like standout scary moment for me that I think about with this movie is when they show you like what's actually happening to Riley's spirit. I was literally, that that's was what terrifying. I was just going to say. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely on the same page there. I mean, what? I don't even know how to say it. It's just like, that's what I miss. I think about scary movies is that moment didn't make me go. Whoa! You know what I mean? It was just like I saw it and I just felt this sense of dread. Yeah. <laughs> like inside. For sure. And I kind of, I mean, I don't want to. Last time I'll talk about Hereditary, I promise. But uh, it gave me those exact same vibes. I mean, that moment is truly like horrifying. Like the reveal of like what is actually. And it's like they've showed us Riley kind of just like laying in the hospital bed, like, oh, he's really fucked up. But like he'll get through it, he'll be okay. But then they show us what's happening inside, and it's, like, the most vile <laughs> thing you've seen. And it's very quick, too. It's not like they hold on it or do an entire scene. They just give you a quick glimpse of what's happening to this guy, and it's, like, actual torture. <laughs> yeah, and, and that moment was cool, too, because they did a little twist on the talk to me thing where the girl spirit lets Mia in, so Mia can see it through the kind of the spirit size of what's happening. So I like that too. I thought maybe that was going a little further where they were going to have to convince spirits to let them in to go save Riley, but it was still like a terrifying scene. And I'm glad, like you said, Matt, I'm glad they show us like the other side of it because it could the whole movie could have been like, oh, Riley's spirit's in hell and all this stuff. But then if, if you can't see it, you're not going to feel bad for him because you just see him kind of peacefully sleeping. And it's creepy. I mean, there's like two or three lines from the spirits to Mia like saying to her, like, oh, he's never going to get out. We will never let him go. And that that just made it even more heavier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the first time Mia gets possessed when she's looking at Riley and the spirit saying, like, how bad he wants him and they're going to split him and stuff like that. Like, that was pretty Oof. creepy, too. Yeah. Yeah, just the spirits as a whole, just them as a concept is just inherently scary. Um, and I think a lot of it, like we talked about, does come from the unreliable nature of it it's like at first based on how the kids are reacting to doing this whole party trick thing is like oh i guess 
maybe this could be like a Keith mentioned Mike Flanagan at the beginning, which a lot of his stories end up revealing that, oh, the spirits are actually, they're not bad. They're just kind of stuck and they're just living, but they're like good people. They're not bad at all. They're not going to hurt you. Um, you kind of get that vibe at the beginning of this. And then slowly they reveal, oh, no, there's something way more insidious going on here. And like, you never know, like, can I trust the spirit or not? Like, are they lying to me? Like, there's a whole like subplot about like, what happened to me as mom? Like, was it an accident? Was it not? And like, you have like your dad in front of you saying, here's what happened. And then the spirit immediately after is like, nope, not what happened. And it's like, this is scary because <laughs> like, it's like, well, how far will Mia go to like follow these spirits? Like, you, you, like they show us in real time how the spirits are convincing people to do things. And then it kind of connects back to the beginning, watching the brother kill himself. It's like, what was happening in his head? We don't know, but we can assume by the end based on what happened to me. And it's really just fucked up and really scary. You may get a spirit that convinces you to suck your friend's toes. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Could happen to anyone. <laughs> That was pretty creepy looking. Like the the old lady was like in the corner of the dark room and she just kind of crawls over there. And that's another great example of that staging of the scene where a character's in bed, they turn to the shadows and something creepy comes out of the shadows. That's nothing new. That happens all the time in horror movies, but it's done so well. It's integrated so well into the story that it, it's still creepy and can send chills down your spine. So we don't need every horror movie to reinvent the wheel. But if you have a cool premise and you can take these horror foundations and do it really well, it's still going to work in your movie. Yeah. And then you have a very similar scene with a very different result, unfortunately, which is the and Keith and I, based on our like reactions out loud, we both knew where it was going, but it still hit hard whenever, you know, she and her dad have the argument and then she starts to hallucinate thinks Her dad is like attacking her and then her dad ends up coming in to help her and then just stabs him in the neck. It, Keith and I's reaction is basically just like. <sighs> at the same time, I mean, yeah, dude, what these spirits are doing, like at first it's like with with the toe sucking scene, I guess they're just fucking with her. Like, what is the goal? I don't know, actually. And but then you get to like the dad almost death scene because they do show him later. So I guess maybe he'll pull through. But I mean, you see that and it's just like just so fucked up. So we can keep talking about um, any standout like scares as if you guys uh, can think of any more. But also like when it comes to the characters themselves and the story, there was like any like cool story beats. Was there anything along those lines that kind of stood out to you? I was like, oh, that was interesting. That was cool or whatever it may be. I like the relationship uh, with Mia and Sue and Jade. It was cool that this family has kind of taken Mia in as she's going through the loss of her mom. Um, also really liked Sue's relationship with everybody. She's kind of like the no bullshit mom. Um, and I, I did like the moment when Sue kind of goes and forgives Mia. Um, and I just thought they had a very sweet dynamic. So enjoyed all that for sure. I like Sue interrogating all the kids about the party. It's like, when's the party? Yeah. <laughs> what party, mom? I don't know what you're talking about. And Riley's friend is like, there's alcohol I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she she's been in the mom game a while she knew she knew exactly how to play that walking to the different groups of kids yeah to ask and that was so good and that actress is from the lord of the rings franchise right i now. know your favorite movie just like me all time <laughs> yeah she's the best i mean once i saw i love miranda Otto when she came on screen like to kind of be like the really i would say the only person in the movie with some cachet i was like oh she's gonna be good and she was great in the movie i thought and I did like the scene with when all the kids do approach the brother of the guy that died at the beginning. It did keep me wondering, like, what does he know about the hand? Like, maybe he knows a lot about it. And he doesn't want to even doesn't even want to have anything to do with it, or maybe he doesn't know anything about it. I guess. And he's yeah, just, it's possible. It's nothing. And that's another like classic horror trope that they kind of subverted in this one, where you go to somebody who has experience with whatever you're dealing with, and they further explain the rules to you and how to beat it. 
And I, I thought we were going to get that from this brother or he was going to at least point them on a path. And he just says, no, I don't want anything to do with you guys. And then he he's not in the movie. So they kind of subverted that expectation there, too. Yeah, which is kind of a weird trope when you think about it, because like the brother's reaction here is how everybody's reaction should be <laughs> when something like this happens. He's like, no, 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 no. I've seen what that can do. My brother literally stabbed me in the stomach and then killed himself two seconds later in front of everybody at a party. Why would I? And like you said, maybe he doesn't even know anything because that's possible. Or maybe he's just like, I just have to exit the situation. This, I, I don't like this. So either way, you believe it. And he even says, just leave him alone and the spirits will lose power and he'll get his body back. And they don't believe him. And that's kind of exactly what they had to do for Riley. They just let him get better in the hospital. The the intro coming back and ended up like ending up playing an important part for the rest of the movie, I thought was really well done. Um, and it's also cool, kind of as we're talking, I'm thinking about it more in real time, but it's like we we don't have insight into the dead brothers like thoughts, like exactly what was happening with the spirits and what they were telling him to do or what not to do and all that jazz. But it does kind of reflect almost the exact same way in the ending, even though Mia wasn't present for those events, right? Because the the brother walks out of the room, he stabs his brother in the stomach, but then he like he kills him. He gives himself a kill blow, right? So it's like, could he have been trying to save his brother? Like maybe he like had to do that, but like couldn't fully control himself. But it's like there was a part of him that could. That does that is kind of what happens at the end with Mia and Riley. It's like you think whenever that body hits the car, you're like, oh no. Mia did it. She killed Riley. She kind of she listened to the spirits. But then it's like, oh, no, it was her. So like maybe there was like some weird thing of like you do kind of still have some control like the brother did where he's like, I'm not going to kill my brother. Um, I'll just go through the motions and then kill myself. And that is kind of what Mia does with Riley at the end, too, whenever she kind of swaps places and kills herself. So it's like, I guess I don't know. I, I liked how that kind of uh, paired with uh, the beginning and the ending moments, too. Well, and that is the last uh, bit of the rule that we haven't touched too much on, but if you die while you're possessed, um, you're theirs forever. And that's what the mom says. She says, or the mom spirit says, she says, he'll be with us forever. I can protect him forever. And so I think that is when it clicks in Mia's mind of, oh, wait, they're lying to me. And so she decides to sacrifice herself instead. So I thought that moment was great. I did have a question about it, though. I do agree with you, Austin. I think she probably did have that epiphany. And she's like, yeah, I'll just throw myself in traffic instead of pushing Riley. But I also, because you didn't, it didn't show her actually jumping. I, Jade yeah. was running down the hill to save her brother. I thought maybe Jade had pushed Mia. Yeah, that's what I was excited to talk to you guys about more, too. It's like there's definitely a lot of ambiguity going on in those final moments. You don't know exactly what's happening because we also, even though Mia's our main character, we don't have full insight into her thoughts. Like you said, Keith, like she could have been pushed, which because, I mean, her like uh, Riley's sister was literally running up as it was happening. Um, but also it's like, if she wasn't pushed, was she fully aware of the decision? Like we talked about, like often you're saying sacrificed herself. It's like the movie did such a good job of like implanting like these like false thoughts. It's like, did the spirits like compel her to, did she like have like a moment of like, ah, an epiphany, like you said, and then, then sacrifices herself willingly. I like that. We don't really fully know. Um, yeah, very interesting. And I kind of like the ambiguity initially of the final moments too, where Mia starts to get up from her car crash and then you slowly start to realize, oh, everyone's looking down at her. She died, but she doesn't know it yet. And then when she goes back to the hospital, you really can't tell how much time has passed because Riley's up and up and better. And then she also sees her dad walking down the hall and he gets into an elevator. So the time jumps kind of threw me off too. It seemed like maybe like months had gone by or maybe weeks. Yeah, it's, it seems like once you're a spirit, maybe time doesn't necessarily move super linearly. 
And I like the way those final moments played out too, because she still thinks she's alive in time that's passing in a weird, a weird way. Um, and then of course she looks into the mirror and can't see herself, which goes back to the dream she talked about, but that's when she realizes, Oh, I'm a spirit. And then the darkness kind of engulfs her. So I kind of like the way I took it was like, Oh, once you realize you're dead, that's when you actually end up in the spirit world. Um, and that kind of takes us into the ending scene, which I thought was so perfectly done. It's really tough to nail a great horror ending. And I thought this one was perfect. Seeing the darkness come in and then seeing that little light flare up and she starts going towards it. And then all of a sudden she's at another party, but this time on the other side of the hand. I thought that was so cool to see it. Um, and also really cool to see it, the hand gimmick from the spirit's perspective. So did this work for you guys? Oh, yeah. I mean, the perfect cap off before going into the credits. Like you said, Austin, I mean, like a lot of horror movies really just do the tired trope of like the final shot has to be like one last jump scare. Like, How many movies have we seen where like, you know, our characters are doing something and then like before the credits, just like a scary face pops into frame. And it's like, <laughs> ah, <laughs> the credits roll like fucking that's like 85 percent of horror movies. Probably this one was like, hey, remember those cool rules that we set up and have been following really like closely throughout the movie? Here's the inverse of it. And then we're going to cut to credits and leave you kind of like that's scary. That's what they did. And it, it really worked. And like now it's, it goes back to all the scares we talked about. It's scary without being a jump scare. It's just it filled me with dread. Like I said earlier, it made me really sad. <laughs> and then it cuts to credits and just I've been thinking about it all weekend, basically. Yeah, it was perfect. And I definitely set it up for a sequel in a good way, because I want to know like maybe how much time has passed between her death and then that party that she's ending up at now too well and they've also set this up like this could be an anthology where just the hand is the only thing that carries over and it could just end up at a new party and they could tell you a whole new story with a whole new group of characters and spirits too yeah either way i mean i don't know but i'm curious to know more i'm curious if it is an anthology like you said they could just you know carry the hand over maybe they could carry over mia's spirit maybe she's the next like main spirit like like how mia's mom was or whatever um but I also could see them continuing this story. Is there a way to save Mia? I don't know. But also, like, yeah, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about all weekend, too, is, like, all the spirits that we seem to meet, most of them seemed, like, really insidious. Like, they were trying to do bad things. They were, like, in, they were like lying out front in order to get their the person they were possessing to do their bidding. But at the end of this, obviously, Mia has just died and is now just thrust into this situation. I don't think it would be believable for her to like possess somebody and then like be evil. But you have to imagine over time, the longer the spirit is here, they want out in some form or another. So it's like, is there a route where this franchise follows her descent into becoming like the other spirits? Because it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. Like eventually you're going to break bad <laughs> in this spirit form where it's like, I got to fucking get out of here. So it's very realistic why they would become evil, the spirits. That's what's exciting to me if they choose to carry over the, at least a few of the same characters is we've already seen that time works weirdly as a spirit. So what if she's already been in the spirit world for years? And so mm -hmm. at this point, maybe just being in that world has turned her into a malignant spirit. I'd be curious to see like what it looks like to see a character who was almost our hero of the first movie now be the main villainous spirit in a sequel movie. I think that'd be new and fresh and could be a really interesting story to see. It could be that, or maybe she would be like the exception and be like a good spirit that's trying to like mm -hmm. warn them, like, "Hey, don't do this! <laughs> like, get out of here before ninety seconds is up or something." I don't know. Or even at the bare minimum, the fact that we now have a character we know in the spirit world 
getting to see both sides of each of each plane of here's what the game is like here's what the other side of the hand is like like furthering that gimmick into the sequel of seeing like what does the possession look like from the spirit side things like that could just be at the base level really cool to explore in a sequel yeah and based on how fast they greenlit the movie after it got like international uh, distribution i feel like they would continue this specific story that's just my guess but i totally could also like you said Austin, i could see that just being an anthology where the only thing that we recognize each movie is the hand itself, and they try and do like different things with the same rules. I could see that being a franchise, but as of right now, just because I was so compelled by this specific story and these characters, I'd, I'd be interested to see their journey continue. I don't know what it would look like exactly, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good feeling that we, we all watched this and we loved it, and we're kind of open to whatever they do. It could yeah. have the same characters. It could not have any of them, and it sounds like we'd all be there you know, like opening weekend for the next one. And I was reading an interview with Danny Filippo, uh, who said basically because of how long ago they made this and put it out, he already had scenes written for a sequel, and he was just waiting on a green light. So it sounds like they know where they want to go with the franchise. Well, it's always good, having a direction. All right, guys. Well, there you go. Before we close out here, of course, though, we have to do some Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is the part of our show before we close out where we take something positive, negative, or something in between from the project that we just talked about. It can be anything. It's just something that we think deserves a specific award. So, guys. What's getting it today? I'm going to give the underage award. Uh, Riley is a young kid in this movie. They bring him to a party. I get it. You know, you're the older sibling. You're stuck with your younger sibling in tow. Uh, But then when you start letting him participate in the party games, you're kind of toeing a line there. You got to watch out for your younger sibling. And then you just leave the room. What do you think is going to happen when you leave the room? Like, do you think he's just not going to participate in the possession? Uh... So my award specifically is that Riley is too young to participate in possession. Basically, you should be 18 or older, just like any other drug. Um, <laughs> and that's what it should be. He's too young to do this. Sounds like you're also kind of a quietly, and I, I agree with you, quietly giving the uh, bad sibling award to the older sister. I think that's a fair award to give as well. That is true. Jade, you are the bad sibling. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you did kill Mia at the end, then I guess you maybe you made up for it. <laughs> if you pushed her into traffic, big thumbs up. I wonder if they're ever going to address the fact with Daniel that he was more interested in making out with a dog than he was with Jade. Ugh. Or Mia. Mia's just more interested in basically not Jade at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give the the worst hospital award. And that goes to this movie's hospital. Like, the nursing staff sucks. Their reaction time sucks whenever Riley's bashing his head once again. It, takes, it takes the nurses forever to get there. He, he, they also allow Mia to take him out of the hospital, out of the bed and everything, unhook everything. They also lend her a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah he gets, she gets her, or she gets him so into nice. a wheelchair and is able to take him out of the hospital, down a hill to the highway without anybody noticing, no securities noticing. And I think that to further explore your question, what are the nurses actually doing in this hospital? Because Jade and the mom are the ones bandaging him and bathing him. That's what are the nurses true. doing? Yeah. Damn, that's a great. This point. is not a good hospital. Like they need a Australian healthcare staff. just must not be great. Yeah, I guess it's just different. Yeah, we just don't get it. Um, it does kind of tie into my award. Um, I think we can give the nurses a pass. We can say, you know what, it's okay that the mom and sister are taking care of all the things the nurses should be doing. We can give it a pass and approve it because my award, of course, today is uh, for the thickest skull, and it goes to Riley. I think the nurses saw how like massively hard this kid bashed his head in over and over again in the first scene he's bashing the front of his head in the hospital scene he's bashing the back of his head 
We're creating big pools of blood, but you know what? He's fine at the end. I think the nurses noticed that and they were like, you know what? Let's go tend to the other patients. This guy's, he's fine. He can do anything and he'll be okay. <laughs> and I'm going to add uh, one additional award onto your award, Matt, because you just reminded me. Um, I'm going to give the Red Icy Award because when he's slurping his blood off the ground uh, in, that sh- in that hospital room, uh, it looks like a Red Icy. Uh, I did not like that. I did not <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, with that, everyone, you know, go get a Red Icy on us. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your podcast still does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for a return, our grand return, to the DCEU once again for Blue Beetle. We're still waiting for James Gunn's DC to take full effect, but we need to go through this, Aquaman 2, and there's probably something I'm forgetting. Who the hell knows? Guys, are you excited? The only thing I'm excited for is to find out how much money this movie is going to lose at the box office. Oof. The Flash lost a billion dollars. Nobody cares about the DCU anymore. I can't wait to see what Blue Beetle loses. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not really excited to see whiny Miguel from Cobra Kai play Blue how Beetle. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Are you excited for George Cobra Lopez? Kai. I was going to say, Keith, you're probably the biggest George Lopez fan Austin and I know. I mean, That's the only thing I'm excited for. I love George Lopez. <laughs> well... All right. <laughs> George Lopez with a mullet, well, too. <laughs> cool. I'm really you know disappointed because I love Blue Beetle. He's a great DC character. This movie does not look good. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm still holding out hope. Um, I love Blue Beetle as well. I love Sholo Maraduena. Cobra Kai is so good. But, yeah, I was really excited for this movie at the beginning of the year, but the subsequent trailers have given me less faith, and then they stopped advertising it, and then the strike happened, so the creators and people behind it can't talk about it. Things are not looking good for our old pal Blue Beetle. Uh, But I'll go see it, and I'll go in with an open mind, but I'll probably be let down. All right, and lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Talk To Me? Would you let the embalmed hand tickle your tummy? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live in our latest episode. Oh, will you tickle my tummy? (laughs) (laughs) I let you in. (laughs) No! Uh, All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you go out and see Talk To Me. Go out and see it. If you haven't, please do go support this one. Uh, Have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next time for Blue Beetle. Uh, I would say I did preface this episode with, like, God, isn't it crazy how, like, good movies and TV have been lately? Again, I'm open mind, but it is possible that next week breaks that streak. So just be prepared going into that episode. But we'll see you then. See you. Morbius is going to make more money than Blue Beetle. How? D- how dare? <laughs> <laughs>